Um, if you have your Bibles, open them up. We're ready for Matthew chapter 15 today. So today, and, and, and very common in the, um, in the Gospels, is this fight between Jesus and this religious group called the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes. Now, this group was raised into history, really. They came on the scene in the 400 years. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament and Jesus's birth, there's about a 400 year gap in human history. We know that there was almost a 400 year silence of, of God pouring out his spirit upon Israel, upon his people. And, and during this 400 year period, it would seem that these groups that Jesus spent a lot of time dealing with, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, that these religious groups, and, and in Jesus' day, religion and politics was not separate. It was one. A Pharisee would be our modern-day senator, and he was also um, the person who ruled the religious um, area and, and the religion. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees were these different groups. The, the governing body of Jesus' day that, again, was both um, religious and political was a group called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was made up of 70 members, some Sadducees, some Pharisees. It's like Republican and Democrat in a way. And, and so the, the Sadducees were very liberal. And the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And the, the Pharisees were very conservative and very religious. And, and, and what we find in the Gospels is Jesus constantly having theological debates with these groups. Now, what, what we do and, and what's amazing and powerful is we get to learn from Jesus as he dealt with these religious groups of what is godly and what is religion and what is relationship. Now, I, I always try to make a line between religion and relationship. Even as a pastor, I try to make it clear to folks, and it can be confusing unless I explain it, but I tell folks all the time, I am not religious, Matter of fact, I, I go as far to say, and I mean it, I hate religion. Religion, in my opinion, is the greatest enemy of the gospel of our day. Religion is man's attempt to reach God based on do's and don'ts, based on rituals, based on traditions of men. And, and it's under a belief system of works. And it's under a belief system that God is somehow impressed by your religious acts, by your rituals, by the things we do. That, that we think this God, this so-called God of heaven is impressed by. He recognizes. He gives you favor because you wash your hands in a certain way better than somebody else. Because you don't smoke and drink and chew and hang out with girls that do. That, 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 that God is, is, you know, and that's an example of, of just do's and don'ts. But again, God is not impressed with our, 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 our religious acts. Now, there's a big difference in what's gospel and what's true and what's powerful in your life and my life is that God's invited us to have relationship with him. And just like we have relationship with our spouses, we have relationship with our children. What, what's powerful to us is that connection in relationship, that, that heart, that love, that, that, that real, um, real connection of relationship. And God is no different. He's interested in the same thing. I think it was last week or week before we studied where, where God said, I don't desire sacrifice. I desire obedience. 
I desire relationship. I'm not interested in you um, doing ritualistic things. And that's what we're going to see today. And, and I want to tell you the reason why we don't do religion today, the reason why we don't follow the law of Moses is because Jesus fulfilled the law of Moses. The law was from Moses to Jesus. And, and we're not called. And, and so much of that stuff wasn't even for Gentiles and for the church. It was Jewish stuff. So much of the law and the rules were, were practical rules of hygiene. They weren't allowed to eat pork. Do, do you think that God is really concerned whether you and I eat pork? Do you think that's what makes you more godly is whether or not you eat pork? The Jews to this day, according to the law of Moses and kosher laws, will not eat cheese and meat in the same meal. You know what you will not get in the, the nation of Israel? A bacon cheeseburger. <laughs> Promise you, you won't find one of those in Israel. And, and, and is that what makes you more godly is that you don't eat a bacon cheeseburger and you won't find one in Israel. So you won't have that problem if you're in Israel. But according to the Jew of today, the religious Jew, that makes them more godly. You know what the issue was with pork and why, why God forbade pork to Moses and two million Jews that were slaves that were coming out of Egypt and, and that weren't very educated? Do you know why in the Bible and in the law of Moses, they were forbidden to eat pork? It was a health reason. Because pork, if you don't cook it right, it has worms. And, and you'll get the worms and you'll get sick. Do you, you know in the Black Plague of Europe that millions of people died? Do you know there was one group in Europe... Check your history books if you don't believe me. There was one group in Europe that didn't die. The Jews. The Jews in the Black Plague of Europe didn't die. To the point where, what did Europe do? They blamed the Jews for the Black Plague because they couldn't figure out why everybody else was dying and they weren't. Why did they not die in the Black Plague? Simple hygiene laws that were in the law of Moses. They washed their hands. They, they, they knew how to dispose of waste because it was in the law of Moses that you take your waste to the outer part of the city. And the, the Canaanite and the pagan cultures of their, of their day didn't understand these things. So God writes in the law of Moses all of these practical hygiene and, and, and laws and rules. And, and then in, in Jesus, these things are fulfilled. And in Jesus, Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. The law wasn't bad. The law was good. The law of Moses was a schoolmaster, but now it's over. And, and, and why do we not? Do you realize by prescription of God for thousands of years, God's people, you and I, God's people sacrifice lambs as atonement for their sins. But today, when's the last time one of you guys sacrificed a lamb for the atonement of your sins? And not for a barbecue. Somebody's like, yeah, I barbecued him up. It was good, right? We did a pig roast here last summer. It was awesome. Um, but we don't sacrifice lambs today. Why not? Because Jesus is our lamb. Jesus died on the cross. The lamb in the Old Testament, it was a picture fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And all that stuff in the Old Testament, you know why we have so much fun going through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy? Well, most of it. Like the law of, of, of bodily discharge in Leviticus 19, that's not so fun to go through, but... 
But, but why it's so cool to go through the Old Testament law and all those things is because we see now that every one of those things was just a picture of Jesus. It was fulfilled in Jesus. It pointed us to Jesus. It was about Jesus. So now that Jesus comes, and again, just like the day we're living in, for thousands of years, humankind, especially in Israel, waited and believed that God was going to send God himself, a Messiah, to come to planet Earth. And that was fulfilled in Jesus coming, born in a, in a stable. And when Jesus came, it fulfilled all those years of history. And so we don't, we don't follow the law of Moses today, not because it was bad, but because it was fulfilled in Jesus. And also because the, the, what happened with the Pharisees and the Sadducees was it became something that it was never intended to be. It became a way for them to perform religious acts that made them feel like they were better than other people. Lots and lots of prejudice through the Pharisees. Even the disciples struggled with prejudice. Lots of I'm better than you and judging and lots of pharisaical and and self-righteous behavior was born out of those that tried to relate to God based on the law of Moses. Do you know what you find today? The same exact thing. People that try to relate to God based on laws and rules and regulations and do's and don'ts, they tend to be pretty self-righteous. And how could you not be? You work really hard. And you really live a pretty straight-laced life. And you don't watch R-rated movies. And you don't do this. And you don't do that. And you don't drink this. And you don't drink that. Water only. And you, you know, your neighbor drinks coffee and Dr. Pepper and watches R-rated movies. Well, by naturally, I'm a better Christian than he is. And that, that's the pitfall that Jesus warned us against. Listen, let me tell you something about watching R-rated movies and drinking coffee. If God tells you to stop watching R-rated movies and drinking coffee, then you stop watching R-rated movie and drinking coffee. And you don't judge your neighbors if they do it until God tells them to do it or until you can show me in the Word of God where it says that everybody has to do it. But if God's put something on your life, something in your heart, you just obey it. And you do it, and for you, it's law. And for your neighbor, it may not be. Because there is a gray area that God speaks on our hearts. And there's other things that are just, just black and white sin. And I don't care who does them, they're wrong. The Bible says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. So if you're getting drunk, that's sin. If you're having sex outside of marriage, that's sin. Black and white. Things the Bible identifies. Things where I could take you to, to Bible chapter and verse and show you where it's sin. But I cannot take you to chapter and verse about what kind of movies you should watch. That, that's not in here. So if it's not in here, and, and as Christian people, we want to please God, what kind of movies should we be watching? What kind of music should we listen to? I don't know. What did God tell you? Ask God and then do what God tells you. And if God puts a conviction over your heart about something and, and about something that's in that area, then you obey it. But here's what you don't do as a Christian. And here's what gives us as Christians a black eye. And here's what turns people away from the gospel and real Christianity is when we start acting like religious folks because we've decided that R-rated movies, and I'm not making a case that R-rated movies are good. I'm not saying that. Or that you should be watching them or I should. That's not. Can we exclude that from the conversation? But when we start deciding that because we don't watch them, that other people who do aren't as good as us, that's religion. That's self-righteousness. 
and there's nothing in the world that stinks worse than that. Amen? Amen. So, so Jesus is dealing with this exact topic. Now, um, in, verse, in chapter 15, let's, let's take a look at what actually happens. It says, Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Now, I'm going to try to jam through this. So I've got to figure out what I'm going to cut out and um, what I'm not, because I've only got 15 minutes left. But um, these were... These were scribes and Pharisees. It says where they were from in verse 1. Somebody look at verse 1 and tell me where the scribes and Pharisees are from. They're from Jerusalem. So that means that they're like upper echelon. That's like, um, I, I, I don't know, that's like New York City. You know, that's not like they, they, they're from Hiawatha, you know, Oklahoma or Hooker, Oklahoma or something. You know, they're, they, these guys are from the big city. They show up in the nice ties and the big suits and they're fancy and they're, they're educated. They're sophisticated Sadducees and Pharisees, probably members of the Sanhedrin. They're, they're just not your run of the mill type of Sadducees and Pharisees that Jesus ran into. These guys came a hundred miles away from where they were in Jerusalem with the sole intent to trap Jesus and to find something that, that they could fault Jesus for to prove that, that their way was better than his. And it says in verse two, they said, aha, we got it. So they show up, they're watching what's going on. And immediately they recognize something that they decide. I'm sure they get together, they talk and they decide is worthy of, of calling Jesus out on. So they, they say, all right, we got it. Let's, let's, let's do this. Verse two, why do your disciples transgress the, somebody say the next word. Come on, like fiddler on the roof, y'all tradition. How many of you guys seen fiddler on the roof? Really? All right. There was like one in the last service. I was feeling kind of lonely. When, when I was uh, in fifth and sixth grade, I was in a Gates um, class. It was a combo class, but it was a Gates class. So it was like a, I don't know how I got in it, but it was supposed to be like a higher class. My teacher's name was Mrs. Spillman. She was Jewish. I had no idea of the concept of Jew or Jewish. I was completely clueless. I had to do a, a report, and I don't even want to go there. Um, it was bad. And, and I, to this day, I pray that God would forgive my soul. But... Um, so we did the school play um, every year at our school, fifth and sixth grade. So fifth grade, the play that Miss Spellman picked was Fiddler on the Roof. So she called it Fiddler off the Roof. And I was supposed to be, uh, I was trying to find an acting part. So I'm rehearsing in the, for the fifth and sixth play, grade play. And, and I have this line and my line is, who, who, like who did it? Who is it? And so I say, who, who in the rehearsal. And Miss Spellman says, you sound like an owl. Get off the stage. <laughs> so that was my acting debut. I ended up backstage for two years. Actually, second year, sixth grade, we did, um, we did Annie. And that was fun, too. So I was Punjab and Annie. So these were my lines. I just stood there with my arm crossed with my diaper on my head. And um, that was it. So what does it have to do with where we are? Nothing. Um, oh, yeah. Fiddler off the roof. Tradition. That's what it was. All right. So I, I, wanna, I wanted you to remember tradition, tradition, tradition. Because, listen, the, the, the Sadducees and Pharisees in this, in this little debate here, in this exchange, they don't come to Jesus and say, hey, your disciples are breaking the law of Moses. Now, that's a different deal, right? Here, they understand that it's tradition. The, the Jews to this day have a thing called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah is a book where they have recorded all of the oral traditions down through history. You'll hear that word and sometimes in teaching and in Bible circles, you hear the word Mishnah. 
When you hear that, that's what that means. That's like, you know, different books in, in you know, um, different religions have extra books that go along with their main book. The, the Quran has the Hadith. The, the, the Book of Mormon has the Pearl of Great Price and Book of Abraham and those things. Well, the Jews, according to the Old, the Old Testament is their main book. They have several other writings, one being the... Um, the Mishnah, which would record all of these oral traditions. In verse 2, it says, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And Jesus answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the the commandment of God? Because of your tradition. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father and mother, Whatever profits you might you might have received from me is a gift of God, then he need not honor his mother or father. Thus you have made the commandments of God no effect by your tradition. Come on, y'all. You can do better than that. All right, tradition. So the disciples or the, the Pharisees come and they talk about hand washing. Now listen, hand washing had nothing to do with hygiene. It was, it was a religious ritual that, that spiritual people who really loved God and who were really right on, who were really good Christian people, they, they would do a ceremonial washing. They'd only use an eggshell worth of water. They would pour it over their hands this way. It would run off the wrist. Then they would turn their wrist the other way. They would pour it over their hands this way. Then they would wash palm to palm in this little ritual they would do. When you go to Israel today, guess what you see on the Temple Mount and at the bathroom on the Temple Mount in Israel with the Jews coming in and out? You see these hand-washing stations where the Jews will come and do this um, ceremony. They've already been inside and washed their hands with water and soap. Then they come out to the, 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 the hand-washing one that makes them spiritual, and they do this ritual of hand-washing. It has nothing to do with hygiene. So the, the disciples don't do it before they eat. And the, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees call them out on it. Now, Jesus immediately, he puts it back on them and he identifies for them some hypocrisy in their own life. Like you, you want to point out that my disciples aren't going through this ceremony. But in your life, there's a practice that's taking place that's much worse. And what the practice was, was the Bible said, honor your father and mother. And, and in, in Jesus's day and in, in the culture, they didn't have assisted living homes and, and, and retirement homes and place, places that we put um, our old folks, right? When, when, I was, um, uh, when I was back home, one of our pastors, his name's Pastor Bob, you guys have met him, he had a teenage son that was very witty. And so whenever he told his teenage son that, you know, something he didn't like, his teenage son would remind his dad that he got to pick which home he would go in and what size diapers to put on him one day. And uh, so he'd always use that against his dad, but they didn't have that. So you decided or you took care of your parents. Well, one of the things that the Sadducees and the Pharisees would do is, is they would use this um, idea and they would say it's Corbin. So Corbin means dedicated to God. Everybody say Corbin. So when something is dedicated to God, then the Pharisees and the Sadducees wouldn't have to use those resources to take care of their elderly parents. And thus, they were not following the law of God to honor, to honor their father and mother. 
So they could say, oh, sorry, that, that bedroom and that bed, it's Corbin. It's dedicated to God. It's for God. Um, the bank account, it's dedicated to God. So I can't give you some money today, mom and dad. I can't help you out. I can't be a part. And it was a, a, a really an evil way, an ugly way of using God to not have to do really what was sincere of the heart, which was to honor father and mother. And so Jesus calls him out on this. Now, the idea of Corbin can be, um, can be good. It can be kind of, you know, something that we can get a hold of. We talked through this before in here because Cor- Corbin means dedicated to God. So I have things in my life that, you know, I want to be Corbin. Like I want, it's my desire, it's my heart. For Lydia and I, you know, I can remember we, we when I first got hired on staff, we got married on, on June 6th. We went on a seven-day honeymoon, and when I got back um, was my first day on staff as a staff pastor at Joshua Springs. Um, I made less than minimum wage. My, my starting salary was like less than $12,000 a year. We lived in somebody's um, house up on the Mesa. They were snowbirds, and so they were only home like three months out of the year, and, and we got to stay in their house for free. So the Lydia's um, benevolent father said, well, your salary is based on your need and you guys don't even have rent, so you don't need much. You need a couple cans of soup, I guess. So here, here's 10 bucks a year, you know. No, I'm just kidding. So we didn't, we really didn't. And it was cool. You know, it was good days, good memories, you know. And, um, and then as God began, we began to grow and God began to bless. And I think Luke was born and we, we, we got a house and we were living in a, in a nice place. And, you know, I can remember feeling like we, we want these things that we have to be Corbin, dedicated to God. We want to fill this house with God's people. We want to invite people over. We, want to, we don't want to take ownership over it in a way. We want God to be able to use it for whatever his glory is. First time we got a nice vehicle. We got a, we got a minivan. It was an Oldsmobile silhouette, but it was nice. Leather seats, TVs, like something was like a thirty thirty five thousand dollars van that we got for like $12,000. It wasn't that old. It, you know, it only had like 35,000 miles. Pretty nice. And, and on the budget that we had, God just made it work. And, and I can remember receiving and getting that blessing and, and wanting to, to dedicate it to God. And just, if the youth group needed to go somewhere, like we're going to loan them our van, we're going to give it to them. We want God to be able to use it. And we, we just want those things in our life to be Corbin. So it, the, the concept or the idea can be really good. It can be godly. But they took that concept and they manipulated it to, to say, oh yeah, that van, it's dedicated to God. So I, I can't give the youth group a ride. Sorry. And Jesus calls them on their hypocrisy. And then let's look at the next section. It says um, in verse 7, Jesus to call um, the Pharisees and Sadducees this. And what does he say? The first word of verse 7? How would you like Jesus to call you that? Right? Jesus says, hey, you hypocrite. I don't like anybody calling me hypocrite, let alone Jesus. Now, the word is very derogatory, and we, we hate it, especially as Christians. You know, it's something that people know they can get under our skin with by calling us hypocrites. And, you know, if we're all being honest, there's probably times where every one of us as Christians play the hypocrite and behave, behave like a hypocrite at times, I'm sure. But, but the word hypocrite, technically, the Greek word is, is hypokritos, which the word means, um, today would mean actor. It was a play actor. It was somebody who was on the stage who would have different masks. They wore a mask. And so they were pretending to be something they weren't. And so Jesus is calling them these actors. They're, you're pretending to be somebody that you're not. Let me tell you why God hates religion, why I hate religion, why religion is the biggest enemy of the gospel. Because for religious folks, they're pretending to be somebody that they're not. You guys follow that? You're pretending to be somebody that you're not. 
How, how do you behave behind closed doors? How do you, do you behave the same way at church as you do at work and when people are not looking? That, that, that gives us a tendency to, to, and again, like I said, if I'm being honest, all of us probably struggle in, in certain areas with a little bit of this. But, but we, we don't want to pretend to be something we're not. And we don't want to put on a false front to other people that, that we are a certain way when that's just not who we are. And God, God doesn't honor it. He'd rather us really be that person. And he says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, verse 7, these people draw near to me with their mouth, but their lips, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching doctrines, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, two things here. In verse 8, what is God concerned with, the action or the heart? Verse 8, does God want to see you do religious duties or does God want to have your heart? He wants your heart. He wants you to be sincere in your love and your walk with him. He, he, listen, people think this is crazy, especially religious folks. They, they don't get it. They're like, how can you not work? How can you not do good works? Like, well, first of all, we do tons of good works. But we don't do good works so that we can have a heart that loves God. We first work on having a heart that loves God. And if you develop a heart that loves God, guess what you're naturally going to do? Guess what you're going to want to do? Good works. If you love Jesus, you're going to want to love your neighbor. You're going to want to go serve your neighbor and love him and share the light of Jesus in their life. If, if, if you just love Jesus, you're naturally going to be a light. And the focus is not, oh, I have to be a light, I have to be a light, I have to show my neighbors Jesus, I have to show them love. No, 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 don't focus there. You're missing it. You're going you're gonna to be frustrated. You're going to become religious. You decide you want to love Jesus. You know what all the preaching and all, the, all the, the hoopla of everything that I do can all be summed up in this. If we as a people, if we could teach, if we could preach, everybody love Jesus more. If you love Jesus more than, when you leave than when you came, man, we accomplished something. And I'm being serious. We really arrived when, when we gather and we leave and everybody loves Jesus a little more. Everybody has a little more passion, a little more desire to be Christ-like, to love Jesus, to know Jesus, to have relationship, to be intimate, to hear his voice, to read his word, to, to be a light. And that, that's the vision. Love Jesus. Love Jesus. How can you get people to love Jesus? You, you, know, you know the problem? Look, look we got to go on. I'm going to wrap this up. i got to wrap it up. Um, too many announcements. But um, in verse 10, it says... When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? (laughs) You know, okay, the the Pharisees, first of all, the disciples, they respected those guys. When those Jerusalem Pharisee dudes showed up, in their fancy suits and with their piety. It, culturally, they really had something. They were respected. And the Pharisees were a little like intimidated by them. And then when Jesus just comes out and says, you hypocrites, you don't even take care of your parents, which is worse than what you're accusing them of. The disciples are like, they pull Jesus aside and they're like, Jesus, don't you know you offended those guys? Jesus is like, I don't give a rip. No, he didn't say that. Don't quote that. Don't tweet that. But he didn't. And then, and, then he, and then he tells the disciples, this is his conclusion. Look what he said in verse 14. What did he say? He said, what? 
said, leave him alone. Let me ask you honestly. Raise your hand if you want Jesus to say about you, leave you alone. Jesus standing here. Leave Aaron alone. She's got a hard heart. Don't waste time with her. Don't share the gospel with her. Don't love on her. She's, she's a lost cause. Leave her alone. It, it, it's not quite, but it's, it, it's on, the, on the equivalent or on the level of when those folks that are going to hear the worst words that anybody in human history will ever hear. When Jesus says to certain people, depart from me, I never knew you. Because that means they're going to hell. And the worst thing anybody will ever hear is those words. Depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus says, leave him alone. Now, now I don't think that God um, and, and Jesus in his sovereignty, he doesn't, didn't love those folks. He loved them. He loved those hard-hearted Pharisees. But his wisdom from the Bible, in another place, Jesus said this about the same situation. He said, don't cast your pearls before swine. So that means don't take the word of God and argue with somebody that doesn't want to receive and can't receive and just wants to argue with you. When you perceive that you're arguing and you're not sharing and they're not receiving, then, then, then don't cast your pearls before swine. Leave them alone. And Jesus said, leave them alone. Now, again, I really believe Jesus loved these guys. And I believe that the Holy Spirit would continue in other areas and other ways to, to, to draw them and call them and give them the opportunity before they die to receive salvation in Jesus Christ and not commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which, is eternal, which will lead to eternal damnation. But, but at the same time, he said, leave him alone. And, and I want to tell you for us, you know, sometimes we, we need to leave folks alone a little bit. In, in a good way, too. Listen, it's not your job in the community that you live in, in the workplace that you have, to constantly be that Christian that's arguing with everybody about why they're wrong and you're right. Why, you, it's not fruitful, And I'm not saying you can't defend your faith. I'm not saying you can't have an honest conversation. I'm not saying you can't debate. But but if you can't put love before debate, if you can't put relationship before debate and before being right, you're, you're fighting a losing battle. Let me tell you how it really works and what's really effective. You, you love people that, that, that believe different than you at your work. And you're not the one that's always telling them why they're wrong. You're just loving on them. They know where you stand. I'm not telling you to be a chameleon or not or compromise what you believe or what's true. I'm telling you to be love first. And if you're that person, you're love first. Then apart from you, because you don't have the power to change their mind anyways, and you're casting your pearls before swine as you argue with them. So you just love them. We had a gentleman come to this church two weeks ago. And he on his own, apart from any conversation that he had with anybody here or myself, has decided that there's some holes in the faith walk that he's walking. And he's looking for something different. And he's not sure yet where he's at and what he believes. But he knows that where he's at, he's uncomfortable and he needs to get out. And I said to him, how did you end up in our church? And he said, I work with a woman that goes to your church. And something about her is genuine and is loving and is light. And and I've just been watching her and, and, and I just see something in her that I want. That's the gospel. That's the love of Jesus. That's who we want to be. That's where we want to be in this story. And then he comes. And, when, and after the service, of course, what do you think we say? What did you think? Like, did you like it? What was it you on? He says, man, it was cool. It was just Jesus in the Bible. And we're like, yeah, yeah, it was cool. And so I said, hey, can, can we talk, you know, or can we spend some time? So we go out, to, we go out, we spend some time. And three hours, we sit down, and I talk with this individual. 
And, and I just share with them everything that I would share and all the truth and all the difference and just the reality of what's going on and exactly what I believe. And he could receive it all. He could understand. He could, he could take it in. That same conversation, that same three-hour conversation a year ago, guess what would have happened to it? It would have been cast in pearls before swine. It would have been fallen on deaf ears. And Jesus would have told me, leave him alone. But what's effective is being a place that when, when God begins to work on people's lives, being a people that when God begins to call and draw people, they want to come to you. Because you're not the one that's always bagging on them and telling them why they're dumb and why they're wrong and why their religion is stupid or their non-religion is, is, is damnation. And just not being needlessly offensive. Jesus offended these guys. Jesus had no problem offending people. Listen, I want to just be real clear. I have no problem offending anybody. You guys are like, yeah, we figured that out already. But I, I'm not, I don't want to needlessly offend you. I, I don't want to offend you for, for no reason. And, and we got to be careful. And listen, we don't want to send a message in our preaching. When we give folks visit, the last thing we want to do is make them feel like, like they're not welcome because they believe different than we do. If that's what we establish here as a community, we, we might as well hang them up. Anybody got a job for me? Because I'm just going to go get a job because I'm going to quit this one because that's, it's not, I mean, we, that's the whole vision of what we're doing, right? That, that is the crux that, that everybody has to be welcomed. And we have to, even in the preaching, even the loving, in the thing, that we have to make sure that whether people believe the same way we do or not, that they're welcome, they're loved, and that, that, you know, we can, we, can, we can agree to disagree. We can talk about some things and let them sit long enough for the Holy Spirit and for God to speak to them and let them decide what they want to believe and where they are. But in the meantime, let, you know, be welcomed and be loved and be apart and, and not belittled or dumbed down, right? All right. Um, let's stand. Let's have the worship team come up. Um, I, I, if I started the next verse, you guys, you know me, right? Like... I keep promising. Listen, I want to make you guys... No, I'm not going to make you a promise, but I'm going to make you a, a something, a statement. There we go. Let's do a statement. Um, I'm going to try to stay more on time for you, um, yeah, for us as a church, as a community. So um, we want to give everybody an opportunity in here, as, as always, to get their heart and life right with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to have um, myself and any of the, the pastors, leaders that are here that want to come down and, and pray for anybody. If anybody would like individual prayer, we're going to invite you to come up and we'll pray for you. I'm going to pray for us now as a church. And then as the, we sing the last song, I'd encourage you guys, it's just a few more minutes. I think the song lasts a whole of three minutes um, to, to not be moving around and, and doing a bunch of that. Just, just, just allow God to move and work. And if uh, you can spend some time in prayer where you are and and if anybody would like individual prayer or would like to receive Jesus in their heart to be their Lord and Savior, you can do that where you sit or you can come forward. And it's a little more powerful. It's a little more life-changing if you actually come forward. And if you just want prayer over something in your life, to come forward and we'll pray for you. And, um, and I will pray for you now. And want to give, again, everybody that opportunity to make sure they know they're a Christian, to know that, they're, that they're, they're right with the Lord Jesus Christ in here this morning. So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for this day. And Father, I pray for each person that's in here. And Lord, if there's anybody in here that is an issue of salvation today, the Bible says that if you trust and believe on the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. The Apostle Paul says in the same chapter that if you confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. 
And so, Lord, we confess with our mouth that, that Jesus came and he died, and we believe in our heart that he rose again the third day. And, God, we understand that, that we are imperfect, that we're created with a sin nature, and that we are in desperate need of forgiveness of our sins. And that there's only one Savior, there's only one road that leads to salvation, and that's the one that Jesus said, that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. And so, God, we ask that you would welcome us into your kingdom, that you would welcome us into this road that leads to salvation that's Jesus, by asking Jesus to come into our lives, welcoming and saying yes to Jesus to take ownership over our lives, knowing that we can trust you in every way. And God, that you would bless. And God, I pray for every other need that's represented today, that you would bless and meet those needs. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen.